0: This evening we are looking at uh, 1 John chapter 2 verses 12 through to 14. 1 John chapter 2 verses 12 through to 14. Let me read it first. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. If you notice know so far, you know, in the previous verses, John has been mentioning about how we have to be careful that we don't listen to the heretical teaching. We have to be careful to make sure that we are really in the faith. And he has mentioned some very strong words to say, if you're not doing this, you're a liar. If you're not walking in the light, but you're walking in darkness. And you know, just before, you know, this verse, you know, he spoke about, you know, how, you know, one example of how we are walking with him is obeying the commandment to love one another. Now all this may have sounded you know, a little scary for some people and in verse 15, he is also going to now come up with another strong statement which says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So all these you know, statements are very, very strong statements. You know? So, you know, before he speaks about, you know, the love of the world, and if we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. He inserts, if you were to say, this short section to encourage those who may have been troubled by what he had written. And John wants his readers at whatever stage they may be in their Christian life, to look back on what God has done in their lives and to ensure that their faith is definitely authentic. So if you notice, you know, uh, he is speaking about you know, three groups. You have children, you have young men, you have fathers. He is primarily speaking when you're thinking about these three groups. He is not speaking about age groups, obviously, but he is referring to maybe there are stages of spiritual development. So he's saying, okay, I've given you this example of how you must love one another. That's the commandment that God has given to us. At whatever stage you may be in your Christian walk, check it out, analyze it, find out (laughs) whether you are really doing this and also check up in your own life at what stage you are in your spiritual development. So that's going to be our study this evening. As we look at these uh, three sections, or three categories, or three stages of development, ask ourselves what stage we will be in. And also when we are looking at these three stages, let us not also say, oh, I'm in the, in the father's stage, or so what is spoken of for the children or the young men doesn't matter to me, or I'm in the young man's stage, or so what is spoken to the fathers doesn't matter to me. No, no. All these three things have specific things that we can definitely learn from. (coughs) And also we must understand when he is using these terminologies of uh, family members, he is reminding us that the body of Christ is actually a family of brothers and sisters, spiritual fathers and mothers, with Jesus as our elder brother and God as our father. So when he has spoken about loving one another in the family, Now immediately, he's speaking about family, children, young people and fathers. So he's writing over here and saying, I write to you or I am writing to you in the present tense. It's like a word of encouragement to them. And I'm sure each one of us would always like a little dose of encouragement, isn't it? Oftentimes, when we think about Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas played such a key role in encouraging Paul, standing up for him. When the others in the church refused to believe him, he was the one who was willing to vouch for him. So John here is giving this a uh, message of encouragement to any of his readers to say, hey, if you are going through situations in your life, when you are wondering, do I really belong to God? Have I really made a commitment? Again, the same thought, ensure that your salvation is real, that you have i you know, met with the Lord. So he starts off by saying, I'm writing this to you, to little children, to little children. Children primarily because if we have been born into his kingdom, then we are called as children of God, isn't it? So this is why he's saying, okay, the first step to understand whether you are a part of the family is to find out whether you are a child of God, whether you are a child of God. and.'" Uh, this word that is used here for uh, uh, little children is a word that we will use maybe for you know, as a nursery term for a very small child, but also it is also a term of affection used by a teacher to his disciples, okay? Both these aspects are there. It is used for a, you know, a person who is a very small child, you know, maybe two years, three years old, you know but it is also used as a endearing term. Jesus used this word, you know, for his disciples. Now, when you're speaking about this word then, okay, we must understand that what John is saying is that since these things are true of you, okay, what I'm going to write, this is why I'm writing this, so that your assurance of faith that you really belong to him would be deepened, would be deepened. Deepen. So that's why he says, I'm writing to you, dear children, you know, if you are a part of the family, if you have made a commitment (coughs) to God, (coughs) then he says, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. This is the sign, if you were to say, or this is the assurance more than the sign to acknowledge that if we have been born into God's kingdom. If we are a child of God, then John assures us that our sins have been forgiven, completely paid for ever. The penalty of our sins have been paid and we can be eternally sure, assured of our salvation. The interesting thing about this word that is used here for have been forgiven basically conveys the idea of a hurling away or to put it off, okay? Like, you know, the scripture would say, as far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's the understanding, that God has removed our sin, forgiven our sin, thrown it off, you know, taken it off so that we are not you know, in any contact with it at all. And the tense of this verb, you know, is you know, the present tense which indicates that these sins were forgiven at a certain point of time in the past, okay? Because of what Christ has done for us. As a result, since he has paid, since the sins have been paid for, they have now been hurled away so that we don't have to pay for it anymore. Perhaps you don't feel like God has forgiven you all of your sins. But remember it is not about how you feel, but what God declares where he says, your sins have been forgiven. Why? Not because of your performance, but because of his namesake. His namesake. Because of Jesus. Remember on the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished. Primarily, we have heard that understanding of that phrase so many times, it's a accounting term, it's a legal term to say, you know, it has been paid in full because of his sake, you know. So our forgiveness in his kingdom is not dependent upon our performance, but because of the event that God did on the cross for us. Now Satan will repeatedly come to accuse us and condemn us for our sins, but this is where We as little children, as an an individual who has first come to know the Lord, maybe, you know, they'll be struggling in assurance of salvation. As soon as they fall into sin, maybe they think it's back to square one, so they need to start all over again. Here, John is writing and says, hey, no, no, your sins have been forgiven. Once you have become a child of God, as far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed your sins. And that is the assurance that God gives to us. And that's the assurance that God is giving through John to his readers. It is interesting, again, how Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, is quoted as saying that he was so sure of his salvation that he could grab onto a cornstalk and swing out over the fires of hell, look into the face of the devil, and sing, Blessed Assurance. Jesus' mind. When the storms of life, the winds of trouble, the sea of discomfort and emotional agony seem to overwhelm, we have to also be able to sing with the songwriter. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's the assurance that John is giving to us this evening. If we are a children of God, then he's saying, your sins have been forgiven because of his namesake, because of what he has done for us on the cross. So we can rejoice this evening. Then in verse 13, he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children because you know the father. So he's now introducing fathers over here. Now mature Christians in a society like that, which John addressed would be called as a father, a senior person, a senior person. And the characteristic of fathers is knowledge and the fruit of experience. Okay. So here, when he's speaking to the fathers, he's speaking about those who have both maturity as well as authority. And they are the elderly people because of their experience, their maturity in Christ, not the chronological maturity. They are not fathers because of their seniority. They are not senior citizens in that sense of the term, but they are mature in their spiritual walk with God. They have a deep communion with God. So he says over here now. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning, because you have known him. He is speaking about this word know, not just a head knowledge but a experience, a personal experience and that is how maturity comes in. Maturity does not come in because of our knowledge of God. Maturity comes in because of our relationship and our walk with God. And this word "know" is a very intimate word, you know. Especially in Hebrew, to know is used of the relationship between the husband and the wife, the most intimate of all relationships. So that's the word that is used here. Because you know God, God know God in all His intimacy. So you have matured in the faith. Now we must ask ourselves, you know. Are you in that category? That you can say that now you are mature, you've come or you're growing in that intimacy with God, that intimate personal relationship with God. It is possible, remember, to have been a Christian for many years and yet not to be a father. Also when you're thinking about a father. We are also thinking about you know, being able to reproduce, okay? So John is speaking about a mature person who has known God, got into a relationship with God, in an intimate relationship, and is now able to reproduce himself or herself in the lives of others. So this is why he says, you have known him who is from the beginning. Ask yourself this evening, are you in that position, not only in the intimacy of your walk with God, but have you been able to reproduce you know, into the lives of other individuals around, around you? That is what discipling is all about. Then he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome the evil one. The Bible is not saying that you have overcome temptation, but you have overcome the evil one. Okay. And, uh, you know, how do we overcome the evil one? The scripture very clearly tells us, isn't it, you know, it is because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And as a result of what Christ has done for us on the cross, Satan's power has been disarmed. He has made a open declaration that Satan is now defeated. So an individual who is now in that young category, he is now understanding, a child is born into God's kingdom, a young man is now understanding this truth that the one who is in him is far greater than the one who is in the world. So he's not afraid of Satan because Satan is a defeated foe, and he is rejoicing in that. The scripture tells us that, isn't it? In Colossians 2.15, that God made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. (laughs) Okay? Now, when you're speaking about they have overcome, again, this is because of what Christ has done. It is not speaking about their present overcoming. They have overcome the evil one because of what Christ has done on the cross, and they have living in that assurance, they are living in that victory. Remember even in Ephesians chapter six, where we read about put on the whole armor of God, after all that, Paul doesn't say go and fight now, no, no, after all that, we are saying stand firm, stand firm in the victory that God has already given to us. Revelation chapter 12 and verse one tells us, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb And by the word of their testimony. So, overcoming comes because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. So, a person who is in that stage of growth, he is not afraid of Satan because Satan is a a defeated foe. It is interesting in the scriptures, constantly we are called to flee youthful lusts and we are called to. Uh, flee adultery, we are called to submit ourselves to God and then resist the Satan. The Bible doesn't say, flee from Satan. The Bible does say that we have to submit ourselves to God because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, that is what gets us the victory. It is not we fighting, we are not getting into enemy territory to get any battles done, No. Battle has already been won, we are now more than conquerors. And it's interesting, the word that is used here for for this, you know, is uh, they overcome. The Greek word is antihistamine, you know, and you remember, you know, we use the word antihistamine, you know, which is basically putting a block, we may take it for allergies, you know, we take that medicine. So this word antistemite, you know, basically speaks about opposing, resisting, just as much as you will take that in a uh, medicine when you're having a cold to put a block for those viruses. Similarly, here you have overcome, you know, you have put a block, you're standing face to face with the adversary, standing your ground because Christ has set you free. That's the assurance for the strong young men, and the young men are often speak, spoken of as individuals are out in the battle who are not the victors. But here John is saying, how do you get the victory? How can you be as strong as a, young, as a young person? It is primarily again because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. You have overcome. Then he says, I write to you, dear children, because you have known the father, because you have known the father. Now, this is you know, a slightly different word that he uses, you know, he is speaking about now not a, a a child, you know, like two to three years old, but now he's speaking, maybe a person is, you know, you know and they are teens, if you were to say, you know, a child who is young, you know, who still needs a little more of training and discipline. But he's saying over here, you know, you have learned this, you know. He says, you know, I'm writing to you, dear children, because you have known the father. You have come into a personal relationship. You are growing in your walks. So I'm writing all these things to you. What I'm writing to the young men to be strong, to stand firm, to be overcomers, I'm writing to you so that you understand what's coming up. What I'm writing to the fathers, you know, I'm writing so that you would understand where you should be headed for." So he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Who known him who is from the beginning. Again, the word that is used here is primarily speaking about the close intimacy. So if you notice in you know, so many times he reiterates this truth of knowing Christ. So as much as he spoke from the negative aspect of, if you're not doing this, then you don't belong to God, you know, you're not walking with him. Now he's speaking about reasons by which we can know that we really belong to him, that we have known him, we have that intimacy. But it is a growth process. So he says, check out where you are in your growth process and where you should really be heading forth. Throughout history, God has had his, uh, na, strong young men. So strong young men, if you notice, he says in the next verse, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. When you look at history, church history especially, we find the Lord has used, in people who are in their youth. Now, Martin Luther was 27 years of age when he marched down the stairs of the Scala in Rome, realizing that salvation was by faith and not by works. He was 34 when he nailed his monumental 95 thesis to the door of that Wittenberg church. George Mueller was 27 years old when he moved to Bristol, sure that God wanted him to open an orphanage strictly on the basis of faith no money on hand. He was committed to telling his needs only to God. John Bunyan was thirty-two years of age when he was jailed for preaching without the permission of the established church. And in that prison, he wrote his immortal Pilgrim's Progress. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was thirty-six when he threw himself into the lowers dens and stews of London's East End to rescue the poor, the wretched and the despised. David Brenard was twenty-five when he set out to convert the American Indians and he was only twenty-nine when he died. William Carey was still in his teens when he could read the Bible in six languages. He was thirty-two when he came to India and launched the Modern Missionary Movement. And all these things were done by... These young men. So John is writing and says, Hey, you guys are strong men, you know, press on, press on, you know. And all this has happened because you have the Word of God living in you, you have the Word of God dwelling in you. And the word that is used here, primarily speaking about an, an indwelling part, indwelling part. Okay. Like an obstacle to resistance or as an army to a fortress. So he says, you know, look here young men, you have overcome, you have the power. What is the power? The power is God's word inside of you. And when you and I can keep this in focus, that it is God's word that gives us strength. It is God's word that gives us the assurance, <coughs> but we have to move on into maturity. Don't still remain a little child. Move on, become a strong young man, overcoming evil one, by virtue of understanding, you know, what Christ has done for us on the cross, defeating Satan. Move on further, become fathers and mothers, reproducing yourself in in the lives of other people, so that they will be able to disciple others as well. That is the maturity that God is looking for. And if this growth process is there, you know, if not as we would often say, isn't it, if a child is not, you know, uh, growing, not taking the first steps, not eating, not moving, you know, parents are worried, you know, the natural growth process of life should be there. If a child is still crawling at twenty years of age, something is wrong. So if you are, say, I know the Lord, if you say, I'm a follower of Christ, but these things are not visible, your life is not matured in you spiritually, physically maybe growth, but spiritually no growth. You're not able to reproduce yourself in the lives of you know, others, you know. you are not able to study the word and have the power of God for yourself. If these things are there, then the Lord says through his word, check it out. If these things are there, then also it's an assurance that there is life in you, because where there is life, there is definitely growth. Let's bow our heads and prayer together. <laughs> our Father, we thank you for your word to us this evening, encouraging us to know that our faith stands firm on victory ground, stands firm on the price that you paid on the cross, stands firm to be assured that our forgiveness has been there because you have removed our sins, hurled it away. And Father, we also thank you this evening you have shown us of how you want us to go on into maturity. Father, we pray that we would never be satisfied to say, yes, I know you, yes, I've received you into my life. But Father, we pray that we would have this intimacy that you want to have with us, that we would be individuals who are willing to give ourselves into the lives of other individuals so that they too can be brought into maturity. Work this out in our lives, Lord, we pray. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.